0: No catchy title, just Judges 3, which you could read it backwards if you want, three judges, because it's the same thing. Judges 3 uniquely has three judges, and and sticking with the theme of three as we go along, I'm just going to give you three things to think about and consider and try and remember over the course of the week. Okay, there will be a test at approximately 333, No, I'm just kidding. Okay, enough threes already. But Judges chapter 3. Now these are the nations the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war to teach war to those who had not known it before. These are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, all the Sidonians, and Hivites who lived on Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal-Hermon, as far as Lebo-Haramoth. They were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So the people people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And any other Perizzites I forgot to mention. And their their daughters took for themselves and their daughters. They took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. And all the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they forgot the Lord, their God, and served the Baals and the Asheroth. All right. Before we can go any further in a study of the Old Testament, we need to understand these false religions. We need to understand the Baals. We need to understand the Asheroth. And this is as quick an example as I can give you of them. Uh Baal was the supreme god in ancient Canaan and Phoenicia. As the storm god, he was usually depicted holding a raised lightning bolt. You can think of a god like Zeus that predates Zeus, except he was more commonly associated with the sea. So if Zeus and Poseidon had a baby, this is their son. If you're into ancient Greek stuff, which all the kitties are, thanks to Percy Jackson and my kids over here are suddenly excited. They're like, oh, wait, dad said Percy Jackson. I got to pay attention. His his consort, Asherah, was the female deity and was represented by a carved pole or a limbless tree trunk planted in the ground. Baal and Asherah are often mentioned together in scripture because most of the time in archeology span and study, you will not find one without the other. And... And sometimes Baal is mentioned with the goddess Ashtoreth, who in Canaanite mythology is closely related to Ashtoreth, and oftentimes that's an interchangeable name when you study the ancient uh, history of it. Both of them are considered fertility gods, and their worship involved acts of sexual perversion and sometimes child sacrifice. Not as often child sacrifice. Most of their worship was done through prostitution. And we'll leave it at that odd and uncomfortableness. But these are the false gods that Israel goes after. And they will go after them. Uh, Here's a picture. Most of the time I thought Baal would be a big statue. This is actually a little bit bigger than a Barbie doll the little statue up there. The other one is a depiction of an Asherah, which they, they carved it out of a tree, which I'm a little sad Scott had to bail out because Scott was talking about how do these people worship something that they made with their own hands? And I, I'm with him. I mean, and the thing was with the, the Asherah, there, there'll be times it's mentioned over and over through scriptures where there's a whole grove of them where they planted a grove of trees, and when a tree got to a certain age, they carved an Asherah out of it as a place of worship to this false deity. And, and I want you to understand something that, that God was speaking to me really clearly when I studied this, is that we, we tend to judge Israel on this, but how many times do we go after things that are less than God with great fervor and passion. We're, we're not necessarily carving something out of wood, but we go at it with the same intensity that this ancient person probably did. And, and the whole baseline of, of that religion is the same thing they dealt with in the Garden of Eden. They were led astray by their desires that were in them. And if you can get that, if you can capture that sin is not an external presence, it's a desire that's in you that you have to crucify daily is how Paul described it. The, the desire that's in you will lead you astray to these things that are not the will of God. And man, I love the sound of a baby in church. I'll get distracted and it's okay. Okay. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he sold them into the hand. Dale, I get to take on your role today, buddy. Dale reads all the names for us in Sunday school and there, there was a pretty funny video about that on the Messenger app earlier this week. But Cushan Rishatham, king of Mesopotamia and the people of Israel served Cushan rishathaim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Okay, if you remember recent history that we've studied, Caleb was the guy who at 85 years old came to Joshua and said, you said... Back when we spied out the land, the Lord promised me an inheritance. I want my inheritance. It's those mountains right over there because there's fortified cities and there's giants that live in them. So at 85, I'm going to go take my inheritance. And every time I talk about that, dude, I get pumped up because at 85, he's wanting to go kick in the gates of cities that have giants and go fight them hand-to-hand combat. It's not like he could aim a tackle or nuke at it. It is, I'm going to go fight these dudes hand to hand, and I'm going to kill them because God promised me that mountain. That, that's, that's Christianity that we struggle with, that, that kind of faith where, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to live long enough to see my great grandkids accept Jesus as their Savior because they're my mountain. Kushan Rishathame. Translates twice wicked Kushan. Wow. So if if it were Jeff Rishathane, it would be twice wicked Jeff. Okay, that, that gets you that. Othniel's name means the lion of God. His dad's name was Hunter. And his brother Caleb's name was Dog. And this is where my warped brain went that Kenaz was ancient Israel's dog the bounty hunter. (laughs) That is where my brain went. I saw this blonde-haired, really overly tan-bearded guy that has two sons. (laughs) And now you'll forever read that passage of Scripture and you'll think of dog the bounty hunter. But... If Caleb, a dog, could go and conquer when he was 85, what do you think God was going to do with a guy that was named the Lion of God? And the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan rishathaim the king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and he prevailed over Cushan rishathaim I'm glad I'm done with that name and the land had rest for 40 years then Othniel the son of Canaz died. The thing about judges that you'll see over and over when the judges life is over there's no fanfare it's just then they died or then they slept with their fathers you know they they went to rest in the land of their fathers. Over and over, they, they, no fanfare for any of these guys. Joshua's funeral was, <laughs> Moses, you know, they wept over Moses, but not as much as it actually shows they wept over Aaron. But, hey, who knows? Okay, is anybody worried they're not going to get enough attention at their funeral? Because I don't, I don't think anybody cares when you get there. They didn't care then either. Judged, I I went ahead and tried to copy the Hebrew over so you can see that. It is Shafat. And it means to judge, govern, vindicate, vindicate, or punish. Okay, notice punish is the last definition. When God judged Israel, most of the time, that word is to govern or to vindicate. And that, that's hard for us to get our Western brain around because you know we what, what are we told all the time by the world? That Christians aren't meant to be judges. Yes, we are. We're, we're called to go vindicate people's lives. Go help them see that, hey, there's things in your lives that isn't pleasing to God. But guess what? God is a righteous judge. God made a way to pay for that so you don't have to. The other uh, definition I almost copied in just to get my teenage son's attention, the Strong's Concordance says avenge. So all of these judges, you can rename the Book of Judges now as the Book of Avengers. <laughs> Suddenly it's getting a lot more exciting. You know, The Avengers. Oath New. Of course, we don't get a, a lot other than he was a great general, but we'll, we'll get some guys that had some really specific skill sets but our three things we're going to talk about the the first one that we need to understand is God allowed the enemies to remain for testing you want to know why you struggle with some of the things that that you thought being saved would just set you free from let me tell you the reason is God allows those enemies to remain And here's the New Testament tie-in, James chapter one, nobody likes James, nobody. Jesus probably didn't even like James and James was his brother. But James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing, there's the tie-in word, why did God leave those people around? To test Israel. Why do we have to struggle with some things? Because the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. If it's not tested, it's not faith. Ouch, I'm gonna let that one marinate for a minute. If it's not tested, it's not faith. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect or made mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Best part about that, if you pay attention, the testing doesn't last forever. Okay, have Any of you taking a test that you're still taking? You can shake your head. I know a lot of you are thinking it. Parenthood. Hey, new mom and dad, welcome to the jungle. We got fun games. Man, Scott is missing a lot of references today. But <clears throat> if parenthood doesn't test you, nothing will. If parenthood doesn't give you an appreciation for God, nothing will. Because your kids will test you like the children of Israel tested God. I get angry at my kids and I feel guilty about it until I remember God got angry at Israel. I'm alright. I'm not a bad dad. Did he have to rebuke them sometimes? Yes. Did he even have to go as far to punish them? Yes. But it didn't last forever and he loved them. Back to Judges. And the people of Israel did again what was evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord strengthened Eglon. That just sounds like a villain name. Eglon. Eglon, the king of Moab against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord, he gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Whew. Eglon. His name means calf like. I thought, you know, how does that even remotely tie in? What the children of Israel make for the first time they rejected God outside of Egypt? A golden calf. Ooh. Ooh. It's one of those things where God in the Old Testament he wasn't he wasn't above throwing a little shade at Israel. You know what? You want to come out of Egypt and serve a calf? Guess what? I'll give you something calf like. His name's Eglon. You want to chase after other gods? Have some calf like. Uh, I mean, anybody ever sarcastically discipline their children? Nobody's owning that but me. I'm I'm the lone hand in the room. I, I use sarcasm with my kids probably more than I should. But. And I'm not saying God's sarcastic. The scripture never tells us that, but right here, it's hard not to think that this wasn't a little jab. Any you ever just give a kid a little jab? I don't mean a punch in the face. I mean, dad ever give you a hard time? He gave me a hard time. The city of Palms. I, I, I had to go look this one up because I didn't know what the city of Palms was, and it translates to mar which is also an interesting Old Testament story of Judah and Tamar. Anyway, we'll keep moving. Some of that's just nuggets that you can go dig. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And something I want you to see over and over and over in Judges is the people of Israel will cry out to the Lord. And the Lord answers them every time. Every time. I don't have that in earthly parents. There's times I call them, they do not answer the phone. Anybody get that with your parents? Anybody do that to your parents? Fess up, children. Okay? Sometimes we don't make that connection, but God never missed the connection with Israel. Anytime they cried out and called out to the Lord, He answered. And the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud. And it's actually pronounced Ayud, which I'm not going to pronounce it that way because it's, it's hard on my oaky vocal cords to do Ayud all the time. But Shimshon is coming. I'm telling you, we're going to have Shimshon. And Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left handed man. Xavier's getting excited now. Xavier's left handed. A left-handed man and it puts it in scripture for a reason and i'll i'll help you clear that up in a minute the people of israel sent tribute by him to eglon the king of moab ehud's name or ehud is i will give thanks i will be praised and his dad's name was a grain a grain a single grain You're gonna talk about humbling your kid out. Name him a grain. And he was not gonna pass that legacy on to his kid. He named his kid, I will give thanks and I will be praised. But a tribute, for those of you that may not understand, is actually an offering or a present when it comes up in the Hebrew. And these tributes were demanded by an occupying ruler in the ancient world. It was customary that you would send a delegation with a tribute and they would pledge their loyalty to this ruling entity. They they would also spoil them with wealth. And, And how that normally looked is you came into the presence of the king, you offered your gift, and then the king would stand up and you would kneel. Usually kneeling with your right knee up, reaching out with your right hand to touch either the scepter or to shake the hand of the king. Okay, this becomes very important to our story here in a minute. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. So fitting that his name is Eglon and he is fat. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. Okay, this had to be a lot if he had people coming with him to help carry in the gift. Okay, and he doesn't want any of those people associated with what's about to happen. So he sends them away. And he's actually escorting them out to kind of increase the ruse that he is putting on here. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal. Okay, I want you to understand if you go all the way back, what were the idols that were placed at Gilgal? The stones that were taken out of the river. For Israel to look at them and to remember that God had given them the land he turns back at those stones and he goes and he says, I have a secret message for you, O king. He lied. <laughs> and he commanded, and the king, Eglon, commands silence and all his attendants went out from his presence and Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. Okay, To, to give you a picture of this, at the top of the palace, there was often a, a chamber that was built up there that had two purposes. One was so that you could get up into the wind and get cooled off from the heat of the day. <clears throat> the other, it had a closet in it that had a chute that went out the side of the wall that served as a, one of the first in-building toilets. And they just referred to it as a closet, because toilet is a French word that won't be invented for thousands of years. Anyway... Moving on. We we get here and, and Ehud comes to him as he's sitting alone in his roof chamber and he says, I have a message from God for you. And he rose from his seat. What happens every time the king stands up? The person who's in his presence, who is not the king, kneels down. So he is kneeling down in the appropriate posture, right knee up, ready to extend his non-dominant hand to touch the scepter or to shake the hand of the king or kiss the ring, whatever is going on here. Okay? Which means which thigh is up? The right thigh. What's strapped to that right thigh? A sword. Made his weapon easy access. This is tactically brilliant. And Ehud reached with his left hand. And took the sword from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt went in also after it, after the blade. And the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly. And the dung came out. And Ehud went out into the porch and closed the door of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. Okay? he stabs the dude so far in and he just leaves the knife there and just reading what's there making my own forensic analysis that he stabbed all the way through to his spinal cord causing that guy to lose control of his bowels and to fall down half paralyzed and bleeding to death if you needed the graphic version of it there it is CSI, Ancient Israel Edition. All right. And when he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. He locked the doors because he's going to the bathroom. And they waited until they were embarrassed. And when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened him and their Lord lay dead on the floor. The judge of Israel was an assassin. Ehud escaped while they delayed and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sariah. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of, of Ephraim. When the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country and he was their leader, He said to them, follow after me for the Lord has given your enemies the Moabites into your hands. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow any to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men, not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel and the land had rest for 80 years. You you can look back at this and, and you can look at it how you want. I'm going to tell you, I looked at it and Ehud had a plan. And he took the time to develop that plan, run the scenario in his mind. And he was prepared for the moment that God asked him to do something. When God created the opportunity, Ehud seized the moment because he was prepared. Strategic planning and execution. You can make a plan, but if you don't work the plan, the plan doesn't work. You can make a plan. What am I going to say if so-and-so ever asked me why I don't freak out all the time or why I'm so happy? Do you have a plan for that scenario? Do you have a plan for how you're going to react when the jerk at work is being the jerk at work? Do you have a plan? And do you have a plan that's built on a foundation? If your plan is not built on a foundation of God's Word, you're planning to fail. But if you plan and you execute, oftentimes you're gonna receive a double portion in return for that plan. Ehud got 80 years of rest for Israel. How many years of rest did Othniel get us? 40. 40. Mostly because Othniel really didn't have a plan. He just showed up and was the man. Ehud was the man with a plan. Sometimes when you have a plan, you're gonna see a better return for what you're doing. And wow, that print got really small. Is it really small up there too? Okay. This is Jesus talking and he's telling his disciples, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus was saying simply, if you have anything that you're going to put ahead of your relationship with me, you won't be my disciple." whoever does not bear his own cross and come after Me cannot be My disciples. And you have to understand, this is estimated to be a year and a half, maybe two years, before Jesus would go to the cross. And He's telling them, if you don't bear your own cross, you won't be fit to be My disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, or simply make a plan? Otherwise, how are you going to know if you have enough to complete it? A lot of people will have enough money they'll lay a foundation, and that's all the farther they get because they ran out of money. I'm looking at the foundation of my house in my mind right now because we have foundation laid for our addition. That's all the farther we've gotten, and it has nothing to do with money. It's contractors. And you can only work at the speed they do. And I look at that, and I think man, that's such a great bit of teaching. But if you don't have a foundation laid and you don't know what it's going to take to reach that person for the Gospel, the foundation most of the time is your previous relationship with them until Jesus comes in and gives them a new foundation. But you can already start to show them by the way you live your life, by the way you interact with them, by the way you treat them, What the walls of the house are gonna look like. I feel bad for Denise a lot of times because I can see exactly what the house is gonna look like in my mind. And I've tried to draw it out, and the picture is just lines on paper. It she can't see what I can see. And the people we interact with day to day and we go to share the gospel with, they may not be able to see what their life looks like with Jesus unless they know your life with Jesus. A lot of you that are in the room today, a lot of people joining us online, would not understand what my life looked like before Jesus. You would not believe it by who you know today. What happens when we start to look at people that way? We start to look at what their life will look like with Jesus. How they interact with people with Jesus on the throne of their heart how they interact with their spouse, with Jesus on the throne of their heart. And then we begin to treat them that way. Not not believing for a moment they're already saved if we know they're not, but start to treat them like we want them to be and see if they don't start to desire to be that way. Why are you always kind to me? Why do you always treat me with such compassion when I'm a jerk to you? Well, it's because I see you like Jesus sees you. And the unlimited potential you have for sharing the Gospel once you know Him. I have a plan. We could keep going, but you can go read that. It's in Luke chapter 14. Because we got to get this wrapped up with my boy, Shamgar. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad and also saved Israel. I love that he saved Israel was an afterthought to that he killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. And that will give us any more of the story. So you get to use your imagination to see what that's like. But Shamgar, his name means Sword. And his father's name, Anath, was answer. God's answer to the world that was oppressing his children was a sword. And that, that is a recurring theme throughout Scripture. If you don't know it, I'll just skip to my favorite one. In Revelation, it talks about Jesus coming back, riding on a horse, and a sword proceeds out of His mouth destroying the enemies of His Father. That's one of those that i got to hold on. I'm going to get Pentecostal if I'm not careful. The, the coach in me wants to shout on that one because I get pumped up thinking about Jesus coming back and eliminating the enemy. Just uh, total annihilation of the enemy. Just, Anyways. This is what an ox code looks like. In case you can't picture that in your mind, now you can. It's a long, heavy pole with a little metal hook on it. That is not a weapon of war. It is not handy at all for use as a weapon. It's literally just meant to keep you out of harm's way of getting kicked by an ox to push them along driving the cart or pulling the plow. The thing about Shamgar that God spoke to me is don't overthink it. God is enough. He will use exactly what you have to bring victory. If He could deliver Israel with an ox goad, He can deliver you with whatever He needs to use. In 2 Timothy, we'll close with this. Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, faith love and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart the other thing that God was speaking to me as I looked at Shamgar is God can use anybody who desires to be used by him if you genuinely want God to use you to reach a family member or a friend God will use you he will And a lot of people think that means that you're going to get to lead them in a prayer of salvation. That's not necessarily the case. God may use you just to sow seed into their life. And that's okay. God may use you to open a door in their life that they didn't realize they had. And somebody else, maybe the next person that walks up, says something to them that immediately opens their eyes to, I need a Savior. And oh yeah, so-and-so, my friend, my family member, told me about Jesus. But God used you. And sometimes God may use you just to say an encouraging word at just the right moment to pull somebody back from a ledge that they don't know they're headed towards. But God will use you if you want to be used. And if you want to be used, it's very clear what it says in Scripture to put away those things. Put away some of these youthful lusts, is the way the King James reads, and pursue righteousness. If you're chasing after God with everything you got, He's going to use you, and He'll use you in big ways.